Truth Espresso, episode 47. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. We interrupt your regularly scheduled Truth Espresso episode to bring you the COVID files. The truth is out there. I mean, it's really, really out there. I mean, it's so out there, it's totally ridiculous. Well, welcome to Truth Espresso. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and this is a rather unusual special episode of Truth Espresso. This is The COVID Files, Volume 1. So just what is The COVID Files? Well, this is where we take extraordinary events, bumbling, or very strange occurrences, very weird actions of people during this current coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. And for COVID Files Volume 1, we have four very special cases that we'd like to file. Case number one, and I would like to call this one, Can You Afford to Hoard? On April 14th, an Australian man tried to get a refund on some stuff. The store owner refused to buy back the items. Now, why would the store owner do such a thing? Well, this was a particularly unusual refund attempt. According to the store owner, I had my first customer yesterday who said he wanted to get a refund on 150 packets of 32-pack toilet paper and 150 units of 1-liter sanitizer. These hoarded consumables amounted to about $10,000 total worth of TP and hand sanitizer. So, several questions. First, why would someone buy that much TP and sanitizer? To sell it on eBay, of course. Well, needless to say, he didn't fare as well as he had hoped. He was hoping to make a huge profit from desperate souls facing a shortage in these items. Second, how did he get access to $10,000 worth of TP and hand sanitizer while others struggled to get their pittance of them? Stores were already rationing them and only allowing one of each item per shopper. Well, he sort of bent the rules just a bit. The Australian man convinced an army of investors to chip in. 150 different individuals buying their ration from the store, stockpiling together, and voila! A hoard to sell at higher margins. Now, wait for the desperate souls to bid on each pack, and cha-ching! Instant fortune! But eBay wasn't about to be blamed for enabling such a scheme. They simply shut down the account. Dejected, the Australian head of the hoarding profiteering operation figured that if he couldn't turn a profit, 
He would simply return the resources and get his money back. After all, the store could use the supplies anyway, right? Yet, for a one-two punch, the store owner refused to refund his massive purchase. Now, the Australian man was stuck with a supply of TP and hand sanitizer that could last him personally for years. He could try his hand in the black market, or he could learn his lesson. Now, I went to Costco recently and wondered why there were paper signs taped to the shelves to let us know that things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer will not be refunded. Now I know. If you listened to the episode of Truth Spresso entitled Embracing Coronanomics way back in early March when this lockdown was just getting started, I talked about the run on toilet paper and what would happen as a result of hoarding. The hoarders are like those playing the stock market to try to buy low and sell high. I said that people would likely not value TP as much as the speculative hoarders think, and the speculators will be forced either to sell cheaper to clear their inventory or to use it themselves. This would reduce the demand on TP while the supplies go up to meet the initial spike in demand. As long as government stayed out of the way of enforcing rationing, the market would eventually clear and replenish. I also said that stores could either raise prices temporarily or ration their supplies to manage demand. Either way, the free market has a way of returning supply and demand toward equilibrium. And of course, it is also within the store owner's rights in a free market to refuse to refund such a purchase. The Australian guy didn't understand the likely scenarios. Not all supply shocks can be exploited by raising prices. I'm going to file this one under James 4:13-14. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. The Australian man has learned his lesson. Case number two I have entitled Finger Lickin' Whoops! On March 4th, as the COVID-19 pandemic was beginning to unfold in the public sphere of the USA, a public health official delivered a written speech to give some important advice about how to avoid spreading a virus. This health official was a seasoned woman by the name of Dr. Sarah Cody, director of the Santa Clara Public Health Department in California. In her own immortal words, Today, start working on touching your face, because one main way viruses spread is when you touch your own mouth, nose, or eyes. Yet a little later in the speech, Cody intuitively licked her finger to help flip a page in her notes. Unfortunately, this is a case of do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to file this one under Proverbs 21:23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. 
Oh, by the way, Sarah Cody is nothing special in this regard. Other public officials have spoken about the same issue and have made similar mistakes. For example, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York in an interview said, One of the key parts to preventing transmission is washing your hands and not touching your face. Yet, during this interview, she touched her face about a dozen times in only two minutes, mostly by brushing her hair repeatedly and vigorously with her hand and rubbing her nose once. But don't worry, this phenomenon is nonpartisan. Robert Redfield, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, touched his face during one of the daily coronavirus briefings. Deborah Burks, coronavirus response coordinator, did likewise. President Trump himself claimed that he was avoiding touching his face, but he was certainly not safe from incriminating himself with his own words. Look, I'm not being judgmental. I would likely fall into that same trap. It's perfectly understandable, isn't it? Case number three I have entitled, You Didn't Make the Cut. On April 6th, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot found herself facing a bout of criticism. Criticism for something she did over the weekend. Let's rewind to the fact that the stay-at-home order in Illinois began on March 21st. This order forbids all social enterprise other than essential business, like medical care and grocery shopping. On Monday, April 6th, Lightfoot spoke in what is deemed a we-are-not-playing initiative at Soldier Field in Chicago. Sounds like a real toughie. I mean, you've got to respect leaders who talk the talk and focus with tunnel vision, right? But does the fearless mayor walk the walk? Responding to someone off-screen, Lightfoot replied, Getting your roots done is not essential. She was referring to the fact that the stay-at-home order that began March 21st only allows what the city deems essential businesses to operate. This order, then, does not allow barbers and salons to operate and cut or style people's hair. Yet, on Sunday, April 5th, the day before Lightfoot said these words, photos emerged on Facebook from a hairstylist at a salon who said that she had the pleasure of giving Mayor Lightfoot a hair trim. So how do you think a reporter would feel having seen the news of Lightfoot's haircut one day and hearing her bark that no one is allowed to get one because it's not essential? When Lightfoot was asked about this apparent conflict of interest, she bellowed, I think what really people want to talk about is, we're talking about significant health disparities. I think that's what people care most about. When asked a further question about the haircut, she looked frustrated that this was being made an issue. She replied, The woman who cut my hair had a mask and gloves on, so we are... I am practicing what I'm preaching. No, you're not, Ms. Lightfoot. What you were preaching was not 
If you're going to get a haircut, make sure you proceed with caution, make sure everyone wears a mask, and make sure things are sanitized. What you were preaching was that no one may offer haircut services and no one may be a haircut customer. Oh, by the way, the Facebook photos showed Lightfoot and the salon woman standing next to each other, not six feet apart, and neither of them were wearing a mask. Yet, the annoyed mayor continued, I'm the public face of this city. I'm on national media, and I'm out in the public eye. I'm a person who I take my personal hygiene very seriously. As I said, I felt like I needed to have a haircut. I'm not able to do that myself, so I got a haircut. You want to talk more about that? Now, the last question there sounds like a threat to me, but let's keep things in perspective. Her excuse was that, as a media presence, she needs to look good. Uh, what about spreading a deadly virus that requires a draconian lockdown? She said that she felt like she needed to have a haircut, as if no one else in Chicago does. She said that she takes her personal hygiene very seriously. Yeah, unlike the rest of the unwashed masses of peons who live in the city. A critic of Lightfoot, who is farther left politically, as a self-acclaimed socialist, by the name of Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, pointed out the obvious on Twitter. She is under no obligation to look good on TV. She is under no obligation to book national interviews, but she is under obligation to follow and promote social distance in order to save lives. This is a bad example for our city. And to that socialist, although I strongly disagree with his ideals, I would have to give a hearty amen. Apparently, Mayor Lightfoot could care less about setting an example. On May 2nd, about a month later, she hammered a threat to anyone who would dare host a gathering. We will shut you down. We will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Period. Don't make us treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in this city during a pandemic, we will take you to jail, period. But somehow, Lightfoot's unlawful haircut and maskless photo without social distancing can't possibly spread a virus, right? Only mere civilians can do bad things. I'm going to file this one under Romans 2.3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You know, given the blatant hypocrisy of this, I think I will extend this file to include Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 20 and verses 46 through 47. 
Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. And now finally, case number four, which I have entitled... We don't all scream for ice cream. On the evening of Tuesday, April 14th, the late, late evening, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was interviewed on The Late, Late Show on CBS with comedian James Corden. They discussed life during the pandemic and how President Trump is likely to lose support because of how he was handling the pandemic. In an effort to seem cute, quaint, and just one of us all enduring a stay-at-home order, Pelosi opened up some of her home life via her video stream, showing that she, like we, could get through this all together. She demonstrated how she was personally coping with these difficult times. She held up a basket full of chocolate goodies, I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented, she proudly blurted, eager to relate to the show's audience. Then, while standing in front of two rather large stainless steel refrigerators, she pulled open a bottom drawer to reveal a dazzling selection of pints of Jenny's brand ice cream and gelato and a box of Dove brand ice cream bars. Apparently, there were even more of these delectable delicacies than meets the eye. These pints of ice cream and gelato cost about $13 a pop, and all these tasty treats sat comfortably in not one, but two extra-large refrigerator freezers that cost about $12,000 each for a total of $24,000 in freezer value. And, may I add, her millionaire lifestyle comes from tax money, not to mention that she consistently pushes to pass laws to spend more and more money that people have to work hard to earn. Ms. Pelosi, living in her chateau in upscale San Francisco, had also ordered to replenish her frozen treat stock to suffer through the lockdown Easter weekend. She inexorably had no clue that much of her viewers were not really connecting with her profligate attempt at quaintness. After the interview, Pelosi tweeted, We all have found our ways to keep our spirits up during these trying times. Mine just happens to fill up my freezer. Hashtag Late Late Show. And she proudly shared a video clip of this portion of the interview. To fuel this fire and melt the speaker's ice cream message, this happened while she was actively refusing to support relief for small businesses that were forced to shut down operations. The Paycheck Protection Program was the fund for small businesses to keep them afloat and paying their workers while they were forbidden to operate as they were deemed not essential businesses for this pandemic. This fund had quickly dried up in a matter of a few weeks. Why? 
because politicians, as I would argue, can never know all the data needed to estimate the true cost of anything they plan to fund. If they did, we wouldn't have annual deficits now, would we? I really don't like the idea of businesses having to collect money from the government, but when they're forced to cease operations, I guess it's at least apropos. But while Pelosi was showing off her luxurious ice cream stash in her luxurious refrigerators, in her luxurious living accommodations, she was actively blocking replenishing the funding that many small businesses needed. At this time, the total people filing for unemployment had reached about 22 million. Steve Guest, the Republican National Committee Rapid Response Director, tweeted, While Nancy Pelosi sits in her ivory tower in San Francisco eating $13 a pint ice cream out of her $24,000 fridge, she is cheering on Democrats for blocking coronavirus relief aid that has so far been distributed to 1.3 million small businesses that is about to run out. Trump campaign aide Brad Parscale tweeted about the incident, calling Pelosi Nancy Antoinette and declaring, let them eat ice cream. If you recall, this is a parody of the statement, let them eat cake, often attributed to Queen Marie Antoinette at the heels of the French Revolution who lived lavishly and did not seem to care that peasants outside the palace walls were starving for bread. But this long, out-of-touch, multi-millionaire politician, whose wealth comes off the backs of working people, was delaying replenishing needed funds for people and businesses forced out of work, because she wanted to add more spending for her politically driven goals. I'm going to file this one under Proverbs 29.7. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed Volume 1 of The COVID Files. Thank you for waking up with Truth Spresso. just experienced the COVID files. The truth was out there. Did you get it? Was it really, really out there? 